the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, we see the wonderful love and joy as fellow believers support and encourage each other in the faith. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. The title of the message is, Mercy Triumphs Over Justice. Acts chapter 15, and we'll also be traveling to a few other places if you want to mark them now, Ephesians chapter 4, 2 Timothy 2, and James chapter 2. Remember the whole theme of the book of Acts is that Jesus is still working. He's not finished. He's still working. And where we're at currently in the book of Acts, some people came up from the church of Jerusalem, but they were false brothers. And they started teaching the Gentiles up there at Antioch that they had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved. And Paul and Barnabas, of course, had none of that. They were going to have none of that. And so they said, no, we're not, we're not listening to this. We're not going to do that. But the church at Antioch said, listen, We know what the word says. We know where we're at, but you need to go down to Jerusalem and figure out what's going on because we need to be of one heart in this. And so Paul and Barnabas did that. They went down to Jerusalem and when they got there, they were warmly received. They shared their testimony, what God had been doing amongst the Gentiles. And most of the church at Jerusalem was excited. Wow, that's awesome. But there were some Pharisees there who were believers, well-meaning believers who said, no, and they need to be circumcised. They need to keep the law of Moses. They need to be Jewish before they become Christian. They need to be Jewish first. And so as a result, the leadership of the church sequestered themselves. And through Peter and Paul and Barnabas' testimony, James stood up and he said, listen, the scriptures are clear that God wants to reach the whole world, not just us. And that he wants to set apart a people to himself without having kept the law, as Peter has explained. And so James makes the decision to stand against legalism in his own church, he being the senior pastor there. And so with James's decision to stand against legalism, the Jewish and Gentile church find themselves united in their proclamation that all can be saved through repentance of sin and faith in Christ alone. And what a great triumph as the enemy tries to split the church and divide the church and we find them unified in this most important issue. But even in the midst of such a great triumph, we are made starkly aware of why we need grace in the first place, because we haven't arrived. Paul will later write to the Philippians that he hadn't laid hold of the thing that Christ had laid hold of him for, and that he was still a work in progress. And so as we finish out chapter 15 and see both the triumph of grace and the frailty of man side by side, may we understand better the truth that mercy triumphs over justice. So Acts 15, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. This is what happens after James gives his verdict. 
And so verse 22 says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas surnamed Barsabbas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. So when James renders his verdict, we're going to write a letter to tell them, hey, we agree. You guys are right. We want to be unified in this. We want you to know we are with you in this. And so we're going to write a letter. And then it says it pleased or it seemed like a good idea to the apostles and the elders to do more than send a letter. Now, if you look earlier, it mentions the elders in front of the apostles, but now it's reversed because this is bigger than just the church at Jerusalem. It's a word of encouragement to the entire church. And thus it carries the weight of a proclamation. In fact, Paul and Silas later on are going to carry this letter to all those Gentile churches that they planted to say, hey, the church of Jerusalem, they are one with us. This is the truth. So we want to make sure we do not get involved in error and go back to legalism. And so the heart of these leaders is let's do more than send a letter. Let's send a sign that we're unified with them 100%. And so they shared their plan and their plan was to send some of their leaders up there to share this news instead of just a impersonal letter. And the whole church thought this was a great idea. It pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church. They made the decision. They presented it to the church. The church said, that is the way that we can make sure that they know we are with them. They said, we don't want to just recognize the truth that Paul and Barnabas taught in our fellowship. We want to encourage and challenge our Gentile brothers and the church loved the idea. And so they send these leaders up there, chief men, these leaders uh, among the brethren there at Jerusalem up to Antioch. In verse 23, here's the letter. They wrote letters by them after this manner. And here's how it goes. The letter says, the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren that are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Now, literally in the original language, it means letters unto them after this manner. And it says apostles and elders, brothers. So it's not the apostles, elders, and brethren write your letter, but it's the elders and the apostles, your brothers, write you a letter. They're leaders and yet they're the same, sinners saved by grace, just like you. They never separate themselves from the people that they're ministering to. And anytime a leader does that, he's gone off the charts. So they send greeting here. We send greeting to you, to our brethren, which are of the Gentiles. Do you realize how crazy that was in that Jewish culture? I mean, do you realize what it would mean for those Gentiles to hear that these guys who are Jews who are saying, you are our brothers, we are your brothers? Let me ask you a question. How many of you are here today because an unexpected person reached out to you and embraced you? I know I am. <laughs> I'm here today because somebody just loved me and made me feel welcome. You know, the first church I attended was a very large church, kind of a bit larger than life. I'm kind of a, a shy person. My wife is one of the most personal people I know, and she kind of made me more personable. And when we first started dating, I had all sorts of rough edges and you didn't want to come close because you'd get nicked. But they would talk to me because they liked her, because she was personable. She was nice. I'm just being serious. She was nice to hang out with. I wasn't so much, but they thought, well, she likes him. He can't be half bad. And so I would get to develop some social skills and become more personable. So when I was a young Christian, I was a brand new believer. I was in this big church, real introverted, really shy and kind of prickly. And there was this older woman who would come and she would, during greet time, she would come down and she would come talk to me. Her name was BJ. I have no clue who she is. Personally, I wonder if she was an angel. But she would come down and she would ask me what I was reading in my Bible, how I was walking with the Lord. I was a 13-year-old kid. What I was learning about in the Lord, what I was reading in my Bible, and she reminded me that God loved me and she'd you know, shake my hand and she'd go back and sit down in the pew behind us. And that 
was so important for me in that crucial time in my life when I was so uncertain about things. I, I felt so much not a part of the church. It was so big and I was not this outgoing person. I remember they had their youth ministry and the youth ministry was gigantic, rock band up there and everything. And I liked that, but you know, I kind of didn't want to talk to anybody. So she made me feel like I was a part, even though I didn't feel a part. How many people reached out to us? How many of us here do we look back and we find out that our testimony is that someone loved us and embraced us? That's what it means to be the church. The idea is that maybe you don't belong anywhere else, but you do belong here. These Gentiles, they were made to feel like maybe you don't belong anywhere else, but you belong here with us, your Jewish brothers and sisters. And so they wrote to them, those who were in Antioch, and then it mentions Syria and Cilicia. So apparently Antioch wasn't the only church that these false teachers had troubled. And the letter was this, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. So first off, they apologize. They disavow these legalists. They say, listen, we have heard that certain guys which came out from us have troubled you, even subverting your souls. They have thrown your spiritual life into confusion. They have sought to dismantle your spiritual life. And they said, listen, we did not send them at all. They are not from us. We gave no such commandment for them to do this. They are not representatives of our church. And you know, I am always leery of unsubmitted men. You always, you can always tell too when they come walking in because they have an air about them. And I thought they're going to come up to me after the service and tell me some prophetic word about how the church is going to explode. And next week, we're going to have 3 million people in our service, even though our building only holds 100. And sure enough, they come walking up and God's given me a word for you, brother. And I say, I just ask, I say, hey, where do you go to church? Oh, you know, <laughs> you know, the, I'm a prophet or I'm a this or I'm a that. And I just travel around. And I say, no, you're an unsubmitted man is what you are. You're not sent from God. You sent yourself. We'll see. How about you come back next week and let's see how many people are here and then we can denounce you as a false prophet. When Jesus is at work in our lives, we find ourselves more connected to other believers, not less. Do you understand that? That makes sense, doesn't it? We find ourselves more connected, not less. In Ephesians chapter four, where Paul was talking about that Jesus gives gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, right? He gives gifts to the church. And what's the result of those gifts that are given to the church? The result is that we are built up in our faith, we're encouraged. But at the end of that chapter, chapter four, verse 16, it says this, the purpose is this, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, the idea of being more connected, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, every part doing its job, it makes increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. So the result of growing in the Lord and getting closer to Jesus and maturing as believers is what? We find ourselves more connected so that each and every one of us are doing our part so that the body is edified in love. I hear people say sometimes, well, you know, I don't get much out of church. Well, good, go give something, right? And I don't say that snarky or sarcastically. I say it because we need you. There's not a single one of you out here today that our church, that Calvary Chapel Orlando does not need. Do you know that? that when you're not here, we're missing something. That's what the Bible says. We need you just as much as you need us. We need you. So these guys, we did not send them. They were on their own. Verse 25, back in Acts chapter 15, 
So it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Again, they're confirming their love. We love these guys. These are great men. And then they testify, men, Barnabas and Paul, that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas have willingly exposed themselves to danger and risk. And so they say, we want to send great men who are the equal of your great men, men who have hazarded their lives as well to carry this message to you. And so verse 27 says, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who shall also tell you the same things by their mouth, by word of mouth. Well, verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost to us. And here's their exhortation. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And we learned this last week, that you abstain from meats that have been offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from sexual immorality, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare you well. And so a very short letter, and they remind them here, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. I love that. They start off, this is what the Spirit is. We've prayed and we have sought the Lord. This is what the Spirit of God has laid on our hearts. Listen, if I can't come to you and say, that which I've received of the Lord, I also deliver unto you. And it's time for me to step down and let somebody else get up. If we're not hearing from the Spirit of God, and we're just gonna go about the mechanics of the ministry of man, and we, we might as well just close shop. The spirit of God, he needs to be speaking. He needs to be working. He needs to be leading. And so they say, we believe the idea for this letter, it came from the Holy Spirit himself, that he guided us in this endeavor. And may that always be our testimony here at our church as well. But also they say it seemed good to us. And the Holy Spirit so often works through very natural means. He works through scripture. He speaks through scripture. I have to say that most of the time when the spirit of God is laying something on my heart is because I'm reading in my devotion time and the Lord just touches me by his spirit. He'll put his finger in an area or a scripture will just stand out and I'll think, Lord, that's what you want me to do. Lord, this is the direction you're taking my life. He speaks through good counsel as well. And so they had done that together. And so they had come to this conclusion. We just want to exhort you. And again, so that they can minister to the Jewish people around him still. Stay away from the food offered to idols. Stay away from drinking blood, from eating things that have been strangled, the idea of the blood still in them. And then also from sexual immorality. And again, that's not a generic prohibition against sexual immorality that, well, we want to reach the Jews, so stop sleeping with each other. No, that was already a given, was the idea to be pure. But the idea here was to stay away from places where sexual immorality is going on, to stay away from things. I hate to be prickly about this in the sense of, what we watch on TV and where we go and, and what we do with our lives. But it, it seems almost kind of, uh, you're just a prude if you're ever gonna even say anything about what we watch or what we see, what we bring into our homes. I don't wanna see, I don't wanna see another woman's skin. I, I don't wanna see those things. I don't want my kids to see those things. The idea is to stay away from these regular practices that went on all the time in these cultures. And unfortunately that our culture is becoming more and more like that. And so they say, fare you well, which means it's just one word actually in, in the Greek, it means be strong. And what do they want them to be strong in and what they already had. We don't have anything new to tell you. Be strong in your relationship with Jesus Christ. In second Timothy chapter two, Paul, the apostle, when he's urging Timothy to be a good leader, he says to him in the first two verses there, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same 
Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So you be strong. And then the things that you have heard about me, about this grace, you make sure you commit it to faithful men who they can pass it on to other faithful men who can pass it on to other faithful men and pass it on to other faithful men. This message of grace, you be strong in your relationship with Christ that comes through faith alone. Well, verse 30, it says, so when they were dismissed, and that's a bit of a harsh word. It just means when they were sent off and you know, we're gonna send our son off to Peru, hopefully in the near future, we're not gonna dismiss him. (laughs) We're gonna send him off with blessing and encouragement and excitement. And that's what this word refers to when they were, you see, why even bringing that up, Will? It's because there are some people who like to read a little bit much into this text and they like to find a whole lot of things that aren't there, that there's this hierarchy and Jerusalem runs things and they tell people where to go and what to do. And and we have this kind of a top-down type of, a church atmosphere and leadership. And that's not what the scriptures teach. And I don't find that anywhere in my New Testament. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, the letter, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. So they get to Antioch, they read the letter and the people there are just fired up. Just like we were this morning during worship. It was excitement. There was rejoicing because there was great encouragement that grace had prevailed. And so Verse 32, and Judas and Silas being prophets also themselves, these guys spoke the word of God to people. They exhorted the brethren with many words and they confirmed them. So these guys become guest speakers there at Antioch, just like Paul and Barnabas were guest speakers at Jerusalem. Now they're gonna speak here at Antioch. And how cool is it to see these two groups ministering to each other's churches? These two congregations couldn't be more different in style, in service structure, in appearance. Jerusalem was probably very structured, probably looked very similar to how the synagogue service was run, very culturally Jewish. And then the Gentile church was probably nothing like that. And as a result, they were very different. And yet because of their common bond in Jesus and the grace that we all need, they're able to bless each other. And it should be that way for us as well. It should be. And so with many words, they confirm them, they strengthen them. And I love this because it all comes full circle in the chapter. Whereas false teachers from Jerusalem, they brought trouble, tried to subvert their faith. These two from Jerusalem come and they strengthen their faith in the Lord. And after that, they had tarried their space for a little while. They were let go in peace. Again, the same thing, sent off. Just bless you guys. Thank you for coming from the brethren unto the apostles. So they go back to Jerusalem, except for one, verse 34. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. And something struck this Jewish man's heart when he saw these Gentile believers worshiping the Lord. Something, something touched him. He fell in love with them and he made this church his new home. And there's nothing negative about the church of Jerusalem. It doesn't say, yeah, you know, I just don't like the worship at Jerusalem. So I'm staying here. The pastor, you know, at Jerusalem, you know, he's just, he's kind of quirky. You know, he's a little different. I'm going to come here. There was none of that. Congregation, they're just not very nice. They're all uppity over there and all this circumcision stuff. There's nothing. And there's nothing superior about the church in Antioch. We all can't attend the same fellowship. But this was the one he was supposed to be at now. So that's where he stayed. And I bring this up because... I find that sometimes people leave or attend churches for the wrong reasons. Usually it's oriented around what does it do for me? The better question is, where do you hear the Lord's voice? That's the better question. You know, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, right? Pastor Chuck used to say that all the time. Do you hear the Lord's voice when you're here? Well, then this is your church. And if you don't, then you need to go find a place where you do. (laughs) Because he is speaking. 
So where's God called you to be? That's the important question. And when you have that answer, plug in warts and all, plug in. I'm sure Silas didn't fit in immediately. I mean, he's a Jewish guy. He's not necessarily into all the Gentile stuff. So he stays there. And again, he he probably didn't fit in as a Jewish prophet in a Gentile church, but over time he would. They'd get used to him. He'd get used to them. And the same thing for you. If you feel like, I don't know how to plug in or I don't necessarily feel apart, find somebody. Find somebody to go and say, hey, can I pray for you? You say, well, that's a little weird. No, it's not. That's what we're supposed to do. Find a way. Come find me and say, hey, can I pray for you? Because I need prayer. Verse 34, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. And then it mentions verse 35, Paul also and Barnabas, they continued in Antioch. So they stayed on there at Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So interestingly, when the people start getting saved in Antioch, they send Barnabas up to check it out and he kind of becomes their first pastor. But then he goes off to find Paul because revival breaks out and he comes to find Paul to bring him down to help with the teaching duties to disciple these new believers. And so they're kind of leading there. But then we see other leaders get raised up as Barnabas and Paul go off on their missionary trip. But now we find them back here again, and they're not in that same leadership position, but they're discipling believers, making disciples once again. But something new here it mentions, they're preaching. I think Paul and Barnabas at this point became much more evangelistic in their passion, in their heart. And so they're preaching. They're out trying to reach the lost, and they're focused on that as well. And something, I believe, changed on that mission trip to Asia Minor and Cyprus. Antioch was their home church, and they're still a part of the discipling process. But I think there's a little bit of a restlessness there to reach unreached peoples. And so as they're out there doing the evangelism ministry, this passion for the lost prompts what comes next in verse 36. And so verse 36 says, and some days after, it's actually about a year later, about a year of this stewing in their hearts. Some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, hey, Let's go again and visit our brothers in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So the purpose that Paul has in mind here is to take a second missionary trip to go check on the Christians in the cities that they visited on their first trip. Now, God has a very different plan for what he wants at least Paul to do. And it's gonna be far beyond what Paul imagined when he makes this initial proposal. And I think that's interesting because sometimes what starts out as one passion leads to a different mission, but God uses that initial passion to get us out the door. I can't tell you how many times that I've stepped out because I thought God was going to do A, and then down the road, I find myself doing B. And sometimes that can be confusing because we might ask ourselves and go, well, God, I thought you wanted me to do A. But in reality, God's saying, yeah, but if I told you to do B, you'd never have gone out the door. (laughs) So I told you to do A, (laughs) because eventually that would lead you to B, which is where I wanted you to go. And what Paul intends when he proposes this to Barnabas, unfortunately, is very different than what Barnabas envisions. And thus, in these last few verses here in chapter 15, a 15-year ministry partnership is about to come to an end. And so Barnabas, verse 37, it says, he determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now remember, they took John Mark with them on the first trip, but when they reached Asia Minor, John Mark, either he missed his mom or he didn't like all this Gentile ministry or Fergie in particular was very dangerous during that time. Bandits were all over the place. Maybe he just said, I don't feel like going out there. I'm going home. He decided to go home. So remember he bailed on him halfway through the first mission trip. So the second trip, Paul's like, hey, Barnabas, let's go and do this. And Barnabas was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go take John Mark again. And Paul's like, over my dead body. (laughs) That loser is not coming anywhere with us. You think I'm joking. That's pretty much what he says. 
I'm not taking that loser with me. Barnabas had this in his heart and in his mind that he was going to do this. The word they're determined, it means to take counsel with oneself, to resolve within oneself, and then to insist based on that resolve. Barnabas felt very strong about taking John Mark with them, and he wouldn't go without him. He insisted that he goes with him. Now, are we surprised about that attitude from Barnabas? It shouldn't surprise us at all. He's the one who reached out to Paul when he was still Saul, and the entire church feared to welcome him into their fellowship. That's why they named him the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means, the son of encouragement. Barnabas specialized in standing up for people who'd blown it in the past that the rest of the church kind of looked down on, people that no one else wanted to stand with. And you know, I love Paul. I do. I relate more to Peter than to Paul, but I love Paul. The mark he left on the Christian world is without debate, but I want to be more like Barnabas. (laughs) I want to be more like Barnabas. Take the chance. Be merciful to somebody who doesn't deserve it and restore that relationship. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your love and for your mercy that you have restored our walk with you so many times. I know if no one else here, I know I have been restored. Times when I have raged against you and times I have quit on you, times I've grown frustrated with you, poured out my heart to you, all my complaint. And yet, Lord, you gently rebuked me and restored me. Lord, help us to do the same with one another, to never write each other off, to be more like Barnabas, Lord, sons of encouragement, to bring people alongside of us, that they might become wonderfully profitable to you in the future. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.